Welcome to Geek Warning. I'm Dave Rome, and yes, I'm not the regular host voice. James Wong has uh, taken a few days off, and instead, you get myself and you get Ronan. Ronan, how are you doing? Obviously, better than the listeners that are stuck with us too, but let's, let's, <laughs> let's see if we can pull this off here. Absolutely. So, yeah, we've got the regular episode for you this week. We've got some news from uh, the world of cycling tech. We've got some thoughts that have been on our mind and uh, definitely over the heads of our family. And yeah, we've got a PSA and we've got uh, the new segment, Pick One, where we pick a favorite product from a certain segment. Yes, things will feel familiar, just with a different voice. All right. Mm -hmm. On the news side, it seems Lotus weren't the only high-end car manufacturer to get into the bike game last week. We're going to kind of kick it off the same way as we did last week, aren't we? Automotive manufacturers getting into cycling. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I expect this to become a regular weekly theme. So, <laughs> uh, Ronan, have you have you had a look at this? So it's it's Aston Martin and Jay Laverick, which mm-hmm. is a high end, I guess, titanium frame maker out of the UK. What do you think? I, Describe this machine to us. I think first of all, the Laverick and Aston Martin connection there perhaps explained why my story on Ed Laverick went so well on the site last week was because perhaps people were thinking (laughs) (laughs) there was some connection there or perhaps Google thought there was some connection there and started feeding it to people because that 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 uh, post did surprisingly well compared to compared to what I was expecting but Mm -hmm. yes the new 0.1 hour isn't that what it's called from uh, Jay Laverick and Aston Martin what they're sort of describing as a true collaboration uh, rather than the quote I heard was rather than the the marketing departments getting together with spreadsheets or the, the licensing departments getting together with spreadsheets, they're actually two brands coming together to, to create this bike. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty fabulous looking, I think. There's a lot of interesting tech uh, and design going on here. A lot of integration, I think, was the, is probably the big takeaway uh, from it in terms of they haven't just gone with an integrated stem and handlebar, but they've actually entirely like hidden all the what were they calling it? a boatless cockpit? I think was what they were calling it because you yeah. can't actually yeah, see. Yeah, there's like this. There's basically like a a stem top cap bolt which somehow holds it all together with some expanding mm-hmm. wedge that also doubles as the the headset preload. But they've been a bit coy over how that all works. Does seem to be different to what you would traditionally see. It's interesting. Uh, and the brakes, the brakes are integrated as well. Yes, I was just about to get onto those. Uh, their own four-piston calipers, uh, which I mean, probably, <laughs> probably not required, but pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah. So I mean, to, to step back a little bit, it's it's using three D titanium printed lugs with uh, carbon tubes in the middle. So kind of a, a design idea that has been done before. Uh, I guess most famously bastion is that's exactly how they build their frames there are some certain bastion vibes in this bike when you also when you Mm. look at the cockpit and all that but yeah it's i guess this takes things even further with yeah those those integrated brakes and the the even further integrated cockpit yeah it's certainly a lot going on here obviously entirely bespoke as well in that you know custom geometry but you've also because the the stem and sort of center of the handlebar is 3d printed tie the extension or the drops then are carbon and, and bonded together. You can actually like to the millimeter, if I understand correctly, spec what what the handlebars you mm-hmm. require. Also, it's the same with the cranks and that the crank arms are carbon, but the tips are three D printed ties. So again, you can like 
get whatever like down to the millimeter length of crank arms that, that you like so yeah I, I just think that's too much options uh the one yeah so it's made to order i i saw some mention that they're doing bike fitting at mass Aston martin headquarters which yes. is not the headquarters you'd expect it to be at yeah it's using parametric design for for the customization so it's stuff that again has been done it's exactly what bastion does in that sense you know with the the options for parametric design custom geometry with you know, custom handlebar, custom crank lengths. It's it's all stuff that exists today, but uh, now available through Laverick and SMN. What is not available today, well, it is now, but it wasn't before mm. last week, was mm. uh, the DB7 alloy wheel inspired chain rings and in that the, oh. the chain rings mimic the, the pattern of, of the alloy wheels from the car, which again, if huh. you're a car nerd, that's maybe, could be DB9 actually. It's one of the Astons anyway, uh, which I mean is, Kind of neat. An extra little design integration that, you know, kind of one of those, if you know, you know. I mm-hmm. thought that was neat. My sort of question, I don't know if you can answer it, Dave, and maybe it's not fair to, to throw it at you, but I'm going to throw it at you anyway. Are there any potential issues for having integrated calibers like this? I mean, I kind of, I, I don't know how these work, but I, I know how sort of precise you have to be with setting calibers, regular calibers. To wind back a little bit, they're, they're claiming that you can pick your drivetrain, you can pick your group set, any of the, the wireless options, so you can get uh, SRAM, Shimano, or Campagnolo, uh, which tells me that they have full control over what seals they're putting in those calipers. So if you're using one of those three levers and then connecting it to this caliper, you basically have full control over the ability to, to match it to dot fluid or, or mineral oil fluid. So straight away, it tells me that they're they're rebuildable, which you'd hope. And it does seem like, uh, I haven't been able to find any clear photos of it, but it does seem like the brake calipers are kind of uh, modular or, or removable. So like while the mount for the caliper is built into the frame, from what I can tell, there's probably like the the moving components of the caliper or even the caliper itself is sort of housed within that and removable. So yeah, I, I don't know how easily these are going to be to adjust over the rotor. That that seems tricky to me. And I'm not entirely sure how they how they're mounted in that regard, but I don't know. It's it's a tough one. I think as long as the parts are made available, then I don't see too much issue in this. But yeah, it remains to be seen how well how easy they are to bleed, how easy they are to adjust, uh, how reliable they are, what the brake feel is like between three different brands of levers. Uh, there's a few questions there. Fundamentally, though, dare I say, and I don't mean to come across a little bit dismissive here, but uh, if you're buying this bike. Does it matter? That was sort of the same thought I had last week when the Lotus bike came out. It was like there was so much sort of kickback to the pricing, which I, I totally get. But mm. there was only 136 of those things. I'm not justifying it at all, but I'm, I'm just saying it was a car brand. There are only a limited number of these things. It was an expensive car brand. For now. For now, yeah. That 136 was just the limited edition launch model. From what I understand, there's a, a, a more affordable, less suspect regular version to follow mm. uh, if or when they sell through the first 136. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, we'll see on that one. But yeah, I mean, this one, there is no price mentioned. It's basically- It's POA. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, it's also worth mentioning that it comes with a pretty, pretty amazing hard case. The last time I think we saw a hard case that good is probably BMC Masterpiece or similar. The only other thing I can call, I can think of that's POA on the price is like a hard case as in a house to store the thing. Is that the kind of, <laughs> is that the kind of pricing? Is that the kind of hard case you're talking about here? Yeah, the, the case is not small, but I'm sure nor is the price. We were, we were talking about brakes there, so I just very quickly 
check the mm. the uh, price of getting the rear brake pads changed on your Aston Martin. Oh yeah, five hundred and seventy pound. <laughs> so I don't know five seventy pounds. Yeah, um, I mean that we're talking about cars here, but uh, I would not be surprised if if these need to go back to Aston Martin also, <laughs> and it's a similar price to get them get new brake pads. I'm hopeful that uh, within those brake calipers, they're just using a regular brake pad, like something from Hope. Maybe is mm. is my first guess, uh, or or maybe it's uh, you know even a Shimano pad or or something, and that it's in internally it's not too different to what other brakes are using. So, but yeah, no doubt if you do want to take your your bicycle to an Asimov dealership, then then you can expect to pay the hourly rate. So yeah, anyway, I think it's cool. I think it's as far as car collaborations go, I'm. Um, I'm all for it. Yeah, I think it's a good one. Before we finish on the Aston, did you see the bottom bracket? No, I did not see the bottom bracket. The bottom bracket is also a thing of beauty. We'll leave it at that. And both yourself and the listeners can can go and check it out if they haven't seen it yet. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. A bike you and I, Ronan, probably won't be seeing or getting our hands on anytime soon. I can't, um, I can't imagine there's much of a review fleet hanging no. out there. So. No, dare I <laughs> say not. So, uh, but yeah, it's... For anyone out there that has an Aston Martin now and wants a matching bicycle, I mean, this this actually looks like a, a genuine collaboration that, that is actually quite interesting. So I'm all for it and it's it's nicer than, a, yeah, certainly seems more than the, the marketing collaboration that, that you mentioned earlier. So Moving on from Aston Martin to a brand sort of has been about cycling for a bit longer than both Aston Martin and Jay Laverick. Chanelli, yeah. Dave, are bringing frame building back in house. Have they been around longer than Aston Martin? Uh, I mean, in the cycling space, I, I mean, like Aston Martin have been in the cycling <laughs> space for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Fair, fair. Yeah. And, uh, and Jay Labrick Chine- are a pretty young brand also. So I'm, I'm very confident in saying that they've been about for longer than Jay Labrick. Yeah. So Sinelli, uh, first time since 1981, they've uh, going to make frames in house in their Milan facilities. I think it's quite exciting. And yeah, they've been offshoring frames ever since. They'll continue to offshore frames, but this. Uh, yeah, they're they're going to have some a range of uh, of steel and potentially even titanium frames coming out of of their own headquarters, and I think this is interesting because the brand is is the sibling brand to Columbus Tubing, so this it's the same house as Columbus Tubing, and it kind of makes sense that if you're going to make the tubing, that you you make the frames, and for me, this might actually also help them uh, advance their tubing sets for for everyone else if they if they're all of a sudden experimenting in house with this stuff uh so i think it's quite interesting i think it's you know that it's it's classic italian tubing hopefully made by by masters and i think it's it's a cool story i just uh it'll be interesting to see how how well they get this going because yeah i mean it's been quite a few years of of that brand offering yeah i guess somewhat generic frames do you think is this a sort of post-covid thing moving you know back closer to home with manufacturing facilities isn't it I think so. I think so. I mean, they they've obviously been making tubing in house this whole time, so it's not like they they weren't manufacturing in Italy. But yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure what's driving it. Maybe there's maybe there's uh, some new newfound passion within the building that really wanted to make frames. But yeah, I think it certainly makes more sense to me that if you're the the sibling company of of Columbus Tubing, that you'd have a, a frame making facility yourself rather than uh, yeah offshoring everything. So. Yeah, that's just launched. Uh, no real word on, on pricing yet, but uh, we'll be competitive. 
And yeah, that kind of comes off the back of you know Columbus obviously ex- expanding their range, something we covered at Made with the and they've now got an entire integrated cockpit, which is kind of a a turnkey solution for uh, frame builders that that want to hide cables that looks pretty good and then they've also uh reintroduced titanium tubing which uh they hadn't done for many many years so yeah it seems like they're they're back and paying attention to the brand i'd I'd say over the last few decades that brand sort of dwindled down a bit in terms of its how loud it was shouting about its products and its innovation but uh yeah it does seem like there's some some newfound investment or or passion in there in that building so one to watch one of those classic brands is like they're just sort of I don't know if on the decline is fair to say or what, but just as I was coming into cycling, it seemed like it sort of got forgotten in some ways. And and yeah, I think without being too harsh, I've seen more Chanelli t-shirts in my life than I've seen Chanelli bikes. Um, yes, <laughs> but um, yeah. hopefully that's about to change. Yes, 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 yes. And uh, hopefully distributors around the world can restock the the gel cork bar tape because that is a a fantastic cork bar tape. It's been really hard to come by in recent years, so I'll buy some. I want, always wanted to buy the Chanelli Ram. And it was like the first integrated bar and stem, wasn't it? Like way back, way... Back when all bikes had the cables external and uh, when it, brakes weren't a thing on road bikes. When it wasn't a thing, Chanelli had it. When it is a thing, Chanelli no yes. longer had Yes, yeah. <laughs> I remember it, it looked cool, but it was very, very heavy. It had a mm. lot of uh, solid aluminium in it and... Uh, yeah, the only one I ever saw suffered. With Art Decor, just true, true. Yeah, the only one I ever saw properly had uh, the paint had corroded, like corrosion from underneath the paint had kind of ruined it forever. Um, like all the aluminium bits had were exposed, and it didn't look mm. super super good, so it got retired. But uh, a cool product, and perhaps we can blame them for all of the non uh, non adjustable <laughs> handlebars that we're having to suffer through now. So. Dave, I was trying to eat my breakfast this morning, and you mm. shared a link. What what is this? You shared? Yeah, on on Twitter, uh, a reader Frederick Bond uh, shared this with us, and uh, it's by uh, I believe he's Polish. Uh, Bartosz Dinowski seems to be tackling a bunch of topics uh, on his own blog, and he's doing like advanced illustrations, I guess, or visualizations uh, while covering off like pretty complex engineering themes, and he's just tackled how a bicycle works and it's it's very much one for the geeks so i thought i'd just uh mention on this podcast i'm going to include a link to it in our in our show notes it's certainly worth checking out probably going to need about 25 minutes half an hour to read through it but yeah he's got some really cool visualizations around uh the body weights of geometry so you can kind of shift a rider up and down in in terms of like a rider's aerodynamic position and and sort of watch the the impact it has to how the wheels are loaded front to back or how the pedals are loaded the one that i played around with for more time than i care to admit is uh the visualization and, and each of these have like a slider where you can like slide it back and forth and see how that how the forces have sort of affect the, the different components you're looking at but the one showing the deformation of tires i, I like that one yeah so yeah it's uh it it goes on quite the deep dive it then covers things like uh frame flex and and the forces through frames and it also starts with uh, the forces applied to a wooden box, so it's uh, it's all encompassing. It's uh, for this entire uh, section that we've been talking about. I've been scrolling through it. Yeah, I'm still not reached the bottom the yet. End. No, so, no. Uh, no. This this could be one to keep me going for days. So don't expect yeah. much from me this week. Just a, a good shout out for some 
pretty impressive content. Uh, and I thought I wrote a lot, but uh, that puts me to shame. So that is a proper thesis. I think, yeah, changing tune a bit. There's uh, some news out of the industry this week. Um, the big one that's uh, coming out of the UK is that uh, Rafa hasn't turned a profit really since they, since they were acquired some six years ago. I think this is an interesting one because they're obviously big. Uh, they've grown plenty, but yeah, they, they were profitable prior to acquisition and they haven't been since. Uh, but I think it's worth noting that that profitability factors in the debt of their own purchase. So it's sort of, I think there's, there's ways to look at that. And I think the main takeaway there is that they're growing and they actually came pretty close to profitability a year or two ago. And it, it's kind of slipped further from their grasp in the last year. But dare I say, compared to a lot of others in the industry, they, they seem to actually be thriving. I mean, yeah, when you look at the headline, it seems like dire straits, 12 million pound loss or whatever, whatever the number was. But yeah, when you delve yeah. into it a bit deeper, there seemingly are reasons to explain that that aren't as dire as just a really struggling business i might just correct you though on saying that they weren't profitable because uh in the statement from their ceo he said despite the negative profit year which i thought was mm. a very very glass half full way to look at <laughs> yeah negative profit so they've been negatively <laughs> profitable okay all right i, I think that's a uh, pretty pretty normal uh, talk for a lot of big businesses who it are could going well be, through but it was uh, it struck me as um, I, I had never heard a loss described as negative profit. <laughs> <laughs> I started wondering what else I could negative like. Could I negatively pay for my grocery shopping, or could I have a negative tax return? <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting way of phrasing things, but mm. yeah, I do think yeah they've they've got figures of like. 35% growth and they've obviously been expanding into other markets and at least from the outside it seems like they've been making those expansions semi successfully like I, I'm certainly seeing their clothing out in, in the mountain bike world and they've managed to be one of the first movies movers or early movers in terms of the gravel segment and I think it's paid off pretty well for them and uh, just the other day I was, I was in the Sydney city and they've got a you know, uh, a concept store, a flagship store in the middle of the city. Uh, and that was a buzz with people. I don't know. I, I think they they will survive through this. I don't think it's quite like the, the dire story that we're seeing from the likes of Wiggle or Chain Reaction Cycles who are having to go into administration and uh, are facing bankruptcy. I think this is just, uh, yeah, I think it, they're, they're working their way through some big debt that, that came about through their own acquisition. And it seems like they're probably going to climb out of it at this rate. But yeah, obviously there's... Economic headwinds ahead is what everyone's saying, and I think that no doubt applies to them too. The city center concept stores that you mentioned there were the sort of mm. center of a lot of conversation I've seen last week after this news emerged. A lot of people questioning how those how those shops are viable and that they can't be. Mm. Truthfully, like I think that, like it, yeah, fundamentally, I think that comes down to like perhaps that's why they're negatively profitable. Um, <laughs> is <laughs> A store like where they are in in Sydney City, I'm I'm guessing it's thirty to thirty five thousand dollars rent a month. You know that's that's Australian, so I mean that's not in huh. in your money, Ronan. That's <laughs> yeah, that's the cost of some bread and uh, some Nutella. But it's um, I think it's yeah, I think it's worth noting that yeah, I mean that's you're not you're probably not going to sell that much clothing through a store. It's it's a branding exercise to be there. And I guess my surprise to still see them there was that I thought it was like a pop up store to open during. The, the worlds in Wollongong and the fact that they're still there and yeah, the store was packed with people. I was somewhat surprised to see that. But uh, anyway, still a good product, still a good brand. Not one 
I expect to disappear anytime soon. What you may know, Dave, or you, what you may not know, Dave, yes. is that Rafa actually brought you and I together. Really? And I'm just going to leave an awkward silence there for a second before I explain that comment. <laughs> and that. Uh, Did we share some bibs at some point? No, they didn't bring us that close together. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. All right. But Because uh, I have a story to throw champion systems under the bus, which is I once tested a skin suit for them and they asked for it back because someone, they needed to send it to the next media outlet. Oh, uh, okay. I wish you hadn't told me that. <laughs> uh, I just meant that um, when I was on my honeymoon at the Tour Down Under, yes, you heard that correctly, I went to the Rafa pop-up store there to rent a bike for the day. And yeah. a couple of years later, when I was then a colleague with yourself at the, the old place, um, I was scrolling through photos of that honeymoon and happened to see a photo of a bike that I had taken. And there was a, mm. a tech writer in the background uh, reporting on this bike. And it happened to be yourself. And at the time, oh, no we did not know. Oh, right. Okay. Mm. Was that a 51? It was. It was Conor McGregor's 51. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. The mm. golden black one. Yeah. That was actually quite a quite a cool bike. It was, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, being in each other's presence and we didn't even know it. Oh, there you go. Okay. Well, we met, we met previously. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on from Rafa. Uh, also coming out of the bicycle industry, uh, this one comes from Bicycle Retail and Industry News, Fox Factory, a uh, publicly listed company, uh, a look set to buy Marucci or Marusi, uh, which they're a, a specialist uh, parent company within the baseball and softball equipment world. Uh, yeah, they're looking to buy them for 552 million US. Uh, and why this matters, so Fox Factory, they, uh, that is the suspension company. Uh, they also own Raceface, Eastern Cycling, uh, Marzocchi. Uh, but yeah, why this matters is Marucci, or Marusi, I still am butchering that. They currently own Lizard Skins. So they bought that company and, and sort of grew it into the, the dominant brand within the, the grip tape world that it is for uh, Beyond Cycling. So Lizard Skins was obviously started in the mountain bike world. Uh, in recent years, they expanded into doing bar tape. And then at some point, they realized their bar tape is actually pretty good for things like baseball bats and tennis rackets. Push chairs and prams is also good for yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything that needs a needs a tape. Um, also, they've they've uh, entered the gaming world, so you can get like for your Xbox controller, you can get lizard skins to make them feel like your handlebars. This could see lizard skins fall under the ownership of Fox Factory, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and I think for any old school mountain bikers out there, um, it's also worth noting that Lizard Skins owns Auri Grips these days, which is a proper classic brand. Uh, I don't think they're still including the holographic stickers with their grips, which is a shame, but uh, hopefully I'm wrong on that one because that was the best part of those grips. Uh, but yeah, anyway, I think it's an interesting acquisition. It's it's the first acquisition that Fox Factor would be making since they bought uh, Mazoki a few years ago, and that's kind of been a, a pretty successful purchase for them. Hmm. We'll see where this goes. It's worth noting Fox Factory and Fox Racing are not the same companies for anyone wanting to get confused over it so fox racing is the the fox head which makes all the clothing the motor motocross and mountain bike clothing they were founded by brothers the fox brothers but yeah one does suspension one does clothing and they're owned by separate large entities um, any relation to 20th century different brother no no i think that was a different sibling again ronan what's on your mind chris room Dave has been on my mind a lot this weekend, and specifically his position 
Mm-hmm. This position has been in the news, obviously. I'm sure everybody's heard because was speaking over the weekend to Cycling News, I think it was, and he told them that they found a discrepancy in the position from his Team Sky and Ineos days on his Panarello back then to the Factor Austro or O2 or whatever he's riding these days with Israel Premier Tech. Apparently, there was a three centimetre difference in the reach to his handlebars. I don't know if he's referring to like you know, centre of the handlebars or is it to the drops or is it to the hoods? So uh, I'm sort of trying to delve into that a bit, uh, trying to get a bit of an, an understanding there, because the alarm bells were immediately going off in my head that I was going to say a writer of Chris Room's caliber, but pretty much any writer on this planet, if you you know took them from one bike and put them in the other, and one was three centimeters yeah. longer or shorter than the other, they're going to notice that difference. So I I, yeah. I, I just that something doesn't add up here. I'm sort of trying to figure out where it's- where that difference is. It's an amusingly bonkers story in that sense because it's just something that like any amateur cyclist is just like, what? Like three <laughs> centimeters is huge. So there's a little bit of plausibility it, though because the guy had a serious crash. So there's like, yes, there's, there, it's not, you can't just like disregard it entirely. There, there could well no. be something going on there. There could be something going on there. But once you have a serious crash, your body changes and then you get another bike fit, which is exactly what he's done. For me, the the sticking point with this, and I mean, this isn't this shouldn't be the sticking point, but for me, his his mechanic is he's had the same mechanic across from Sky. He brought his mechanic across. Gary Blem, he was you know he's an incredibly uh, talented mechanic. Like he he used to be the personal mechanic for Mark Cavendish prior to Froome, and he's you know he's been doing this his whole life. Those mechanics, when you have a mechanic that is basically responsible for one rider, they know the numbers on those bikes off the top of their head. You can ask them saddle height, they'll give it. To you to the millimeter you can ask them reach the you know reach the cockpit they'll know it exactly three centimeters isn't something that if it just came up in in you know if even if the bike fitter sent through their new numbers gary would probably look at those numbers and be like mm, no. that doesn't seem right that's not gonna work for me and it should just raise red flags immediately so i don't know i i think there's probably maybe some miscommunication happening here maybe maybe i wonder Froome if it was three talking different numbers no, I mean, I mean, for me, like he, he did say, like, I'm not talking millimeters, I'm talking centimeters. That's, <laughs> that's the quote, that's true, you know, <laughs> like it's like he specifically said that. Uh, and it's not like he comes from a country of freedom units where he, you know, doesn't know the metric system. So uh, I think in, in Froome's mind, what he said was was truthful. But I, I wonder whether how he's measured the bike has changed. Mm. Well, he has actually since moving across to Israel Premier Tech. He has been on both a 54 and a 56 centimeter Austro, uh, which obviously, you know, size size change difference there could un- could uh, introduce some some discrepancy there. But I believe he is back on a 56 now, which would be the you know the the size you'd expect a rider of his height to be to be riding. Uh, if not, he's a pretty tall guy. I might have thought he might have been on a larger frame, but going mm-hmm. back to his Team Sky days, he was also on a 56 Panarello, so that makes sense there. Rather, unfortunately, I might say um, almost to the a year to the day that he made these comments. So uh, basically a year ago, uh, Chris Froome had uploaded a video on his YouTube channel of him getting a bike fit uh, done and having his his numbers checked in that. So, you know, he would have been on the same bike then as he is now. There's probably had countless bike fits since he left Team Sky. How this hasn't come up before now, I'm not entirely sure. I I, I have a hunch. I'm not going to say what it is because I, I don't want to draw any conclusions or throw any shade until I've got uh, an answer either way on this but I have a hunch how uh, as to one explanation as to how this could have happened it is yeah it is uh one of those stories we've got it up on escape collective uh Joe Lindsay wrote it up and 
it's hard to believe, but the fact that he actually said it and it's been requoted by multiple outlets is it's strange. As someone who is never quite happy with her bike foot, and yeah. I can I can sympathize with him entirely if he's not if he's not feeling that. And then also just as we've already mentioned, the crash he had, come back from that. You gotta imagine he's gonna have some lasting side effects from that. So yeah, hopefully hopefully he has whether it's three centimeters or not, I'm not sure, but hopefully he has got to the bottom of whatever was going on with this fit. Yep. Good luck. Hopefully, What's on your uh, mind, Dave? On my mind, uh, I just finished up uh, a review between Feedback Sports and Park Tools' top most portable repair stands. Uh, so that's that's now live on the site. And, and on my mind is just uh, how adamant I am that a repair stand should have angle adjust to it. So the ability to, to tilt the bike while it's, while it's clamped. Uh, and that's a big reason why I don't really rate like more um, road style race repair stands the stands that like sort of mount a bike from the bottom bracket and you connect the dropouts is that there are exceptions to the rule there I think Unior and Topeak both make versions that can now be tilted but uh, yeah I I insist on being able to tilt a bike because it's necessary in order to let gravity do its thing when you bleed hydraulic disc brakes it's it's important um and very useful when you're uh trying to get a a cable to find its way through a frame you know it's it's important when you want to get underneath the bike to check the cable routing at the bottom bracket and you just want to get it at a better eye level rather than you having to contort yourself to to do it so for me i i'm just yeah thinking that when i use a shop style repair stand i kind of have the the angle adjust set just tight enough to hold the weight of the bike but not so tight that i can basically swivel the bike at at any point uh, and just move it around without having to micro adjust it all the time, and that's sort of how I how I work on bikes is by constantly moving the angle of the bike to better suit the the task I'm doing, and that's something that uh, appealed to me with both of the stands that I tested, is they both allow such smooth, easy angle adjustment, and it's exactly why I don't get on with the the little slash Aldi slash Wiggle slash everyone else's work stands that there's there's tens of thousands of them in the market. Because those don't have an angle adjust feature. They have uh, like a geared toothed arrangement that you kind of have to undo the clamp and then move it by five degrees and then reclamp it. And for me, that would just annoy the hell out of me. So that is why you spend more on a repair stand is in my mind to get that angle adjust feature. And I just wanted to get that out there and get it off my mind, really. How how, how do you have to go to get that feature? On Park Tool, I think anything from there second base level and up and then uh feedback sports it's like anything from their their sport mechanic stand and up will will give you that feature as well mm-hmm. so yeah i mean you don't you know it's probably 200 hundred dollar work stand will give it to you but not a not a hundred dollar work stand i have the pro ultralight it was only when the sort of angle just started getting a bit sticky that i realized how much i actually use it when it was sort of removed momentarily yeah and i couldn't do it i was like oh yeah this is actually a really useful feature so yeah, so anyone with a feedback sports stand, an older one that um they can, especially some of the cheaper ones, they I found them can get a bit droopy in that angle adjust feature. Like you really have to crank on them to stop them from uh sink, like you know to get them to actually hold the bike at the angle you want it to. Uh, you can actually retrofit the 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 knob and the the clamp that comes with um the stand I just reviewed. I won't quote prices, but yeah, you can. It is possible to get those parts and retrofit it to to upgrade that sense. So you have a uh. Yeah, a better adjustment in that sense. Um, so yeah, for anyone with an older stand, worth looking into. But 
I wanted to, it's less on my mind and more something I wanted to get off my chest, which is, yeah, I, I see those uh, generic, very well-priced two-legged workstands recommended everywhere. Um, and they have, you know, incredible reviews. Like if you go to Wiggle, there's, there's thousands of five-star reviews for them. And of those thousands of people, all every single one of them has only ever used that one workstand is probably my, my point. Um, and I think, yeah, if you're, if you're happy with it, great. But I think, you know, hydraulic disc brakes become normal and, and all these other things. I think it's just worth considering if you are buying a workstand that that, that angle adjust feature is, is actually more useful than you realize. Are you saying that the generic ones are an upgrade from turning the bike upside down the ground? I am saying that, yes. Okay. Yes. So if, yeah. if you, if you, you want to get a bike off the ground, then those cheap generic star. stands are actually, you know, when it, when it comes on Audi special every, every three months, because that's a, a regular go-to anytime they have cycling products. I mean, it is, it is a very, very affordable work stand that will actually hold a bike off the ground and won't break as soon as you look at it. It'll break a few years later, but it won't break as soon as you look uh, at it. I'll have you on that one because yeah. I've had one for, it must be between five, six, seven years or more. Uh, and it is specifically my outdoor bike stand that lives in the bike washing wow. space. So it has Still like- going? The, the most- You TLC haven't broken got, the quick release on it yet? Uh, well, it's got a sort of clamp rotating thing. Oh, uh, so okay. Quick All right. Release. Slightly uh, maybe, different. Yeah. Maybe okay. that's, uh, it's got enough legs to like confuse an octopus. Uh, that gets a bit, <laughs> gets a bit tricky sometimes. Uh, I've, I find myself face down on the ground more than more than once, thanks to thanks to that. Uh, but it does like it, it. It lives outside. It's specifically for washing the bike, so I'm not like leaning against the wall or something. It gets zero attention through rain, hail, sleet, or snow. Mm. The only thing I've ever done is like grease the threads on the sort of clamp bolt. It's still going. So all right, you know, well, credit where it's due. Back to the angle adjust. I, just, I wouldn't just... use it. I, I was I was using my feedback sports one today, and you could not pay me to bring it indoors and use it for actual service or. Uh, gotcha maintenance work but yeah the purpose that it exists for it's it does the job yeah yeah i'd probably liken it to like a good pair of bib shorts that once you've actually experienced a good pair of bib shorts going back to the aldi bib shorts is not an experience you want to do mm. uh and for me that's that's how i feel about work stands let's do a pick one so for for anyone tuning in for the first time welcome but also yeah pick one's fairly new segment where we're uh picking a product from a particular category and it's uh, yeah we have to just have one so it's the product we would choose to buy again if we needed to pick one from that category so ronan uh how do you feel about talking about cycling computers no comment no comment on cycling computers no comment can i plead the you're not picking one <laughs> i mean they're just all terrible so um there that's my answer <laughs> <laughs> so you refuse to pick one because you hate them all SRM PC five. That, that's where we should have stopped. Really? Okay. <laughs> no, not like no, a, I, I should probably not a cat eye or a sigma. I should I should probably elaborate a bit in that pick one. My answer is Garmin Edge, probably ten forty. Um, it's the one I reach for mm. most often. That is my answer. I a brick on the handlebar. Mm, which I appreciate, but I also like the sort of large. Uh, screen and, and display and the fact that you can have so many data screens on view at once. What I particularly like about the Garmin and what actually draws me to it most is the Connect IQ option, all the different apps that you can have there and the sort of different data fields that you can include thanks to those, uh, especially sort of a lot of the, the sort of tools that I'm working with require Connect IQ apps like the aerometers and these new position monitors that can sort of measure how far you're deviating from your set position that 
Um, not to mention just a host of other things. So yeah, that Garmin Edge, maybe 830, 840 upwards, any of those. My difficulty with those is I hate touchscreens on a cycling computer. Awkward, doesn't work. Works when you don't want it to work, doesn't work when you do want it to work, is, mm-hmm. my, is my findings. Uh, <laughs> if you live in Ireland where it rains a lot, uh, the screen especially works when you don't want it to work, so then you have to lock it. And I mean, yeah, I, I'm not going to labour the point too much, but I Garmin 1040 would be an easy pick for me if it had buttons, either in addition mm. to or replacing the touchscreen. So uh, for for the button function, I really like the Wahoo products. They just lack the Connect IQ apps that, that I require myself. And I also feel like you know, when you get a new Wahoo Edge or, or something, it never really builds all that far on the, on the previous generation. Uh, I mean, they are hugely popular. They, they do a great job for, for that. I sometimes just get all excited about a new bolt coming from wahoo and then ultimately it's um you know it doesn't include something that i thought maybe it could have i do sort of think hammerhead or probably there's probably due a new crew to at this point and i'm excited to see what the new crew if it's a three or whatever will offer yeah. anyway i'm rambling dave which would you pick no well you you still haven't you picked one you 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 said the edge 1040 right yeah and i think it's worth reiterating that you also use that screen you readily use the maps for uh, figuring out routes and but also like you you watch it while you descend by the sounds of it according to <laughs> previous episodes. One of my PSAs was not to do that. So, <laughs> oh okay, all right. But I mean, yeah, I, like I yes, I I I have I have done that though. Yeah, cool. So yeah, so for me, like uh, I have been using a crew too, and there's a lot to like about it, but I think the the clunkiness of it, and uh, I actually just don't find it as intuitive as I had expected it to be. So yeah, for me, I I keep reverting back to uh, a Wahoo Element Bolt V2, which is like the the newer colored ver- color screen version with uh, the USB C charging, and it's simple. And I tend not to use maps very often, so that doesn't bother me. And I'm like you, I hate touch screens on cycling computers. Mm. Uh, so yeah, the the buttons work for me, and it, it gives me the data I want and little more. I guess it's it's yeah. As far as you know, if you're comparing it to an Edge 1040, it's it's a, it's a very simple device. Um, and yeah, I like that. I I get on with it. It's worry free, carefree. The battery is is good enough for me. Um, the screen resolution at times I wish were better at, in certain light, but uh, that as well is is fine. What annoys me most, though, is forever testing bikes and a lot of these new bikes with integrated cockpits, a lot of new road bikes, they might include a bike computer, but they still tend to only include Garmin mounts with their bikes. Uh, So that's one nuisance and that's kind of led me, you know, I I do occasionally use a a Karoo 2 with a a Garmin adapter on the back of it uh, for that very reason. Uh, So yeah, I'm sort of jumping between the two, but yeah, I'm going to say Wahoo Element Bolt for me. Hmm. A, a better answer for me might have been the fact that I advised both my parents to buy a Wahoo Element Roam. Uh, and I, I oh, just yeah. realized that I butchered the Wahoo names earlier. I think I called it a Wahoo Edge. It's not a Wahoo Edge. Anyway, Wahoo Element that. Roam, That's when my parents were both looking for new head units, that was what I steered them towards. So I'm I'm a bit of an outlier, possibly, in terms of what I'm looking for in one of these head units. The Roam, I mean, it's it's my namesake. I should I should be really into it, but it's um yeah. I don't know. It just feels quite like a dated computer now to me. It feels like it's 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 an old piece of tech at this point. Uh, it works very well, but I don't know. Just I mean, do you get that sense? Like the screen and all that. Like it just. Well, they brought up they brought up the updated one this time last year, wasn't 
uh, roughly this time last year. Okay. All right. Was, so I'm, I'm on the previous one. But yeah, that even was kind still. of my feeling at the time was like it, it could have went a step or two further uh, and it didn't. Yeah. But I appreciate like, uh, as I said at that time also, especially connect IQ apps are something I'm looking for in a head unit. Um, and, you know, I, I, I 100% understand that Wahoo probably never want to go down that route. I think yeah, they keeps things they, simple. Yeah. Cycling computers. Ronan, should we have a PSA? Um, yeah. Well, we didn't ask you what new tool you bought this week, so you know, there's loads of stuff that we've let slip since James yep. left us here in the lurch on our own for a week. Yeah, I don't think we need to dwell on my um, unhealthy buying habits every week. I think we can just uh, skip a few weeks there and, and then, uh, you know, that way there's less judgment. I had actually planned not to ask you what mm. your latest tool purchase was, but to ask you what your latest bleed kit purchase was or what bleed kit you would recommend because I had a highly frustrating basically I've, I've become disillusioned with the bleed kit that I was using for, for the past few years and, and I'm, I'm ready to invest in a new one. I'm kind of of the opinion that I prefer to use bleed kits specific to break manufacturers rather than universal bleed kits. Uh, so I think as far as universal bleed kits go, there, there are some good options, but they a lot of the time I find that the fittings aren't quite as good or, or a little bit more frustrating <laughs> having to change the fittings and swap fittings. Than You're telling just the guy who has set. mineral oil all over his wall tonight. <laughs> yes. So were you bleeding a Shimano break? Yeah. So I have SRAM and Campbags specific tools um, or kit. No problem there. I have a BBB Shimano kit or universal <laughs> kit, uh, yeah. <laughs> which is, yeah, please don't laugh. Um, so Shimano, the, the, the key, the key trick there is there's a little, uh, insert that goes into the hose that Shimano themselves do on their newer pro level syringe. Thankfully other brands are now offering it. So Park Tool have it in their bleed kits and they also offer a little upgrade kit that gives you that hose plus a few other bits you'll never use. So that could be an affordable way to get that hose. And then I think there's also other companies potentially don't quote me on this, but maybe like bleedkit.com are now offering that same little metal barb insert and that metal barb insert goes inside the the bleed nipple of the caliper and it basically uh creates like a, a secure fitment between the hose and the the caliper bleed nipple so it works on every model of shimano brake with the bleed nipple but basically it means you can almost go hands-free you can let the the whole syringe filled with fluid just like dangle off the caliper without any risk of it like popping off and spraying fluid everywhere which is what i'm guessing happened to you not actually. Uh, the syringe and the you obviously don't have a needle in this. What's it? The tube. What is there a technical mm-hmm. term for the tube? Sure. Uh, the separated. tube. Yep. Um, oh, okay. Yep. Whoosh. Yep. That's not yeah. ideal. Uh, yeah. So the better syringes, say like again, Park Tool Bleed Kit, which is quite expensive for what it is, but is actually quite nice quality. Their syringes, the hoses are actually threaded to the syringe, which is is nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it gives you that little barb fitment which is great um so yeah i would i would probably be pointing towards something like that for the syringe um shimano's own syringe the hose is great but the syringe itself is actually pretty crummy and has a lot of resistance in it and just isn't very joyful to use so the other brand uh lube tube uh out of the us that i think they've been working on a on a similar syringe with the same similar sort of barb so i'm not sure if they now have that for sale but uh I had played with one and it looked very promising, very high quality syringe. Uh, and then, yeah, at the at the lever end, my preference is, again, Shimano's Bleed Cups. They do a newer professional version, which has like a bigger capacity and like a lip around it. So you can 
angle the bike at up to a certain angle and it won't pour out the edges. It's got like a an anti-spill lip on it. So yeah, yeah I, I like that. I have used full metal bleed cups, but I prefer the plastic because uh, there's no risk of buggering your threads. But more importantly, the plastic is translucent, so you can actually see your fluid level from mm. while you're standing at the back of the bike. Yeah, so those two things, the, the better Shimano bleed cup plus the, the fancy hose fitting attached to any syringe of your choice, and um, that is happy days. Well, folks, that was pick two, I think, <laughs> this week. <laughs> uh, uh, and I, I, I'm sure nobody would do this, but uh, perhaps an additional PSA also in that this is, tonight's experience is another reason and why you should definitely, definitely remove your pads when you're bleeding calipers. Oh, yeah. yeah. Keep them well away from where you're working because luckily I had done that. I'd also, the wheels and the rotors were pretty far away. So when the mineral I did spray, nothing but the wall got contaminated which i was yeah in my opinion i feel like saying take it remove your brake pads to bleed your disc brake or at least to bleed your shimano disc brake is kind of like saying don't stick your hand in a meat grinder um <laughs> it should just be done uh, but yeah. i know i know many people try to skip the step and maybe don't have a bleed block and then they think they'll just keep the pads in don't do it it's just too high risk of, of spilling on your pads the only time i've ever done it is when i hopped on a bike that hadn't I can't remember for whatever reason, but it was a SRAM equipped bike and I was late for a club spin. I was already late leaving the house. I left the house, got to the end of the drive, realized I had no rear brake at all and went back nice. and um, basically changed the pads and rebled the thing in like minutes. And I did not use a bleed block. I just, yeah, winged it. And I was very, very nervous about destroying everything and trying to take a shortcut. But it worked out that time, but I wouldn't yeah. recommend it. I will say there are other brakes that you probably could get away with bleeding them with the the pads in, like SRAM. Some of the SRAM models are pretty clean to clean to bleed, but even still, take the pads out whenever you bleed brakes. It's just it's not worth the risk. And taking the pads out means you can clean those all important pistons before you mm. push them back into the bores. Don't push dirty pistons back into their bores. There you go. Um, that's actually not the that's not the PSA, but maybe it should be. Uh, maybe it should be. Do the PSA quickly also. Yeah, my PSA was uh, related to pedals, but um, I feel like not pushing dirty brake piston, yeah, dirty brake pistons back into their their bores is is perhaps a better PSA. But well, I just will we, to say will, we, will we leave everybody in suspense wondering what your PSA is about pedals? It's not a safety thing, I think, so we can safely hold it until next week and keep everybody on the edge of their seats for an entire week as they eagerly anticipate the next episode of Geek Warning to find out what is the pedal PSA. <laughs> Let's do that. I mean, I'm I'm kind of of the opinion that no one's actually listened this far to our rambling without James to keep us on track. But uh, uh, let's do that. Let's let's keep a PSA for, related to pedals for next week. Okay. Uh, in the meantime, don't yeah, push in don't, dirty pistons. Yeah. Stop pushing dirty pistons back into their calipers. That's why you. That's why you get sticky sticky pistons. To make that a little bit more useful, I I use a bottle brush to clean them. So use a isopropyl alcohol and a bottle brush, uh, specifically a 20 millimeter diameter Viking bottle brush uh, for anyone playing at home. Uh, and yeah, that just makes cleaning the pistons incredibly easy. I, I literally just spray the isopropyl into the caliper, uh, get the bottle brush into the caliper, clean it, uh, wipe it off with a rag and you're done. And then you can push those pistons happily and smoothly back in to where they want to go and bleed your brake. I was working on a pro bike last week that had oh. an incredibly sticky front caliper to the point where it just you know wouldn't release anymore and i'm pretty sure that's what has happened at some point that 
for whatever reason they were sticky, got pushed back in while they were still dirty. Uh, I only had, you know, half an hour, an hour with the bike. As much as I tried, I couldn't get them freed up again. Is there anything you can do to sort of correct that if that has happened? Uh, depends on the calipers. Some calipers you can rebuild. Shimano, in theory, you can rebuild, but Shimano doesn't sell parts for them. And I don't really believe in using aftermarket pistons inside a Shimano brake, which is kind of your only option. You can service the, you can do an external service to the calipers. So for Shimano, um, their recommendation is to actually get their own bleed block and file down half of it, remove half the side of it. Uh, and that gives you a piston exposure tool. Uh, so yeah, you can you can put that in the caliper and then you squeeze the brake lever until one piston basically comes out to its maximum limit without popping all the way out. Uh, and then you'd clean that piston uh, and then you'd gently push it back in uh, and then flip that bleed block, repeat the process on the other side. Uh, and you might need to repeat that a few times, but that would, that would help to clean out the seals, clean out the pistons, uh, and hopefully get things moving the way they should. Um, I'd also say a full flush of the brake fluid would be a good thing to do at that point because, yeah, you'd probably find that fluid's pretty, pretty manky and not the color it should be. So, yeah, uh, on the piston exposure tools, you can, if you're careful, just use a tie lever for that same thing. I take things a step f- uh, further, and Chris Hershap, uh, who's a Escape Collective member, um, he actually offers uh, 3D-printed exposure tools for sale, which means you don't have to file or cut down a Shimano bleed block, which is just annoying to do. So, uh, yeah, there, there are options there. Um, it's quite quick with the right tools. Mm-hmm. It takes a couple of minutes at most to do that. Uh, yeah, I guess just further on that, PSA, where that comes from is most people, when they change their brake pads, they stick a screwdriver in between their old pads and wedge wedge open the pistons. Uh, and then they take the old pads out, put the new pads in and call it job done and slap themselves on the back for being an excellent mechanic. Don't do that. Take your pads out, clean the pistons, push them back in. Mm. Then you can do some new pads. Um, I also take things a step further with Shimano brakes because Shimano... The bladders in Shimano brakes are, are ah, quite delicate. I was going to try and sound smart. And yeah, be like a good mechanic and say that I always. I was going to ask you: Is it necessary? I always yeah. open like the the bladder before I push them in, just in case. Yes, is that where you go? Yes, it's not. It's not necessary in that uh, if the brake was bled completely correctly the first time around and there's the exact right amount of fluid in it, then in theory you should be able to push the pistons back into their bores without any risk of um, damaging the bladder at the lever. But I don't take that risk, and I just crack open the bleed the bleed port at the lever end um, just to remove any pressure from it. And then I push the pistons back in. And then that way, if there is too much fluid or there's any back pressure in the, the master cylinder bladder, uh, you just, there's, there's, at that point, there's zero risk of causing damage. Um, so it's just a, an extra step that adds a few seconds for me. For some people, it might be scary because you're opening up the fluid, but with Shimano brakes, it's, it's yeah, it's it's a pretty clean process, and specifically with Shimano brakes, I do that just to ensure against issue. The other thing is, is the pistons themselves are quite delicate. You know, they're a ceramic piston, uh, and they can be quite easy to easy to crack if you're not careful with them. Um, so, opening up that that master cylinder uh, bleed screw and removing the pressure means those pistons have less force behind them, so they'll slide in more smoothly, and 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 there's less risk of damaging them as well. Is there any part of the bike these days that isn't easy to crack? To easy, cr- easy to crack. It's <laughs> yeah. a good question. Uh, uh, a tube, an inner tube, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe Unless you're yeah. using TPU. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, very good. Um, yeah, I tried the. I I didn't have the. Um, I tried the tire lever tool, basically mm-hmm. uh, the hack cleaned everything, rebled the entire system. One side just completely stuck, and the other side raise a daisy or whatever. You know, being a pro bike, as you can imagine, this is top end equipment. Uh, it was rather just sad to see. As far yeah. as I could tell, that caliper seemed to be dead. Yeah, that's unfortunately like yeah with. With some other brands, you can get replacement piston kits and you can do a full rebuild on the caliper. It's it's arguably, if you're in a shop, it might not be something they do because by the time you factor in labor and the spare parts, you're already above the cost of a new caliper. But yeah, Shimano, they just don't offer those parts. And um, yeah, AliExpress for aftermarket pistons just seems a bit sketchy to me. So uh, I would recommend a new caliper at that point, unfortunately. Oh, well, well on that unfortunate note. Uh, we've got a few little self-promotion plugs for ourselves i've got my own tool newsletter now threaded uh we've had two published now last week's was all about talk so if you haven't seen that please go to escape collective check it out it's in the tech section uh you can sign up for free and that way you'll get it sent to your inbox whenever it gets published ronan you've got a new podcast performance process i I think i'm a podcaster now I mean, I'm on usually on about three podcasts a week these days. So uh, you can find me on this podcast, obviously, on Placeholders and also on Performance Process, which is a members-only podcast for the Escape Collective members. And yep. each, every other week, we delve into some of the processes behind some of the top performances uh, in the world. Last week's episode was a sort of 101 or a how-to guide on aero testing at home. Uh, we were joined by Mark Gravelin, sort of an aero testing guru. I, I listened to that yesterday and I was so, he- so amused by you asked uh, how he would approach getting started on doing uh, AB aero testing. And you listed off, you, you went on a five minute monologue about how you do it. And it kind of like those two thoughts was one, Mark was busy taking notes from you, which is not normally what happens when you have an expert guest on. <laughs> And then the other element was just that I could see, like, Kaylee. I, I mean, I couldn't see because it was a podcast, but I could imagine Kaylee on the other end was just, like, getting more and more glossed over uh, <laughs> and more and more wide-jawed during that moment uh, as you started talking about using the water <laughs> in your water bottles to equalize the weight added for the different components. It was, it was very amusing. You, you've uh, you've conveyed what I was doing with the water there much more succinctly than I did in that monologue. So um, there actually is a video of that. It's on a reel on, on my Instagram. Uh, you can check out Kaylee's reaction. Uh, we re- we we recorded it much like we're doing with this. Um, so yeah, you can you can see it. It it started off with sort of uh, bemusement and then maybe bewilderment, and then <laughs> by the end of it, yeah. it was just acceptance. He was on board. Yeah. By the end of it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think Mark just responded to your monologue with okay um <laughs> i still maintain so, yeah. though like i like just to get a little bit of background on that if you're doing ABAB testing and you're testing helmets you probably don't mm-hmm. need to go that extreme but as anybody who has been yeah. on escape collective from day one will know i have some kind of a plan to run an aero leaderboard where i might actually aero test the various bikes that we have come into us and, and sort of rank them in terms mm-hmm. of their aero efficiency and that is such a difficult thing to do. Uh, I appreciate it would be difficult when I made that sort of plan and, and wrote that piece. It's been even more challenging than I thought it would have been. And I'm not going to have an answer on that this year. But for that sort of testing, I, I still think that is the sort of lens that I need to go to. 
Anyway, it was a good podcast. Um, <laughs> check it out. It's it's worth noting that for the full version of that podcast, uh, it is members only. It's exclusive to Escape members. Uh, it doesn't matter what tier you're on. You can just be uh, at the reader tier. You can be subscribed per month. You can be subscribed per year. You'll have access to those members only podcasts. And that, that leads me to the other members only announcement, which is this week we have our first members only geek warning launching uh it's going to be an ask a wrench episode with myself james huang and zach edwards of the boulder Grappetto. uh there are more episodes already in the works uh including one with brad copeland so yeah please subscribe uh and if you are already a subscriber you should have got an email explaining how to get access to the super secret rss feed that lets you upload it straight to your podcast player of choice um but yeah if not you can reach out over discord or email someone uh and they will get you that email again um but yeah do subscribe because i think that content's pretty good and uh you'll miss out if you're if you're not a member and i'm i'm going to sign up right now i want to hear that thank you ronan (laughs) thank you i appreciate your support and uh and that's before we wrap up yeah if uh if you like this podcast i mean not this podcast with just ronan and i but if you like geek warning normally then please leave a positive review for us on itunes it helps uh fellow like-minded bicycle geeks uh find us so i appreciate that ronan should we wrap it yeah uh i mean i I kind of just wanted to mention you you briefly touched on the discord there and i I just wanted to mention how great that is uh, off the back of that arrow testing podcast that we published last week there's an arrow slash tt channel within our discord and there's a performance process channel within our discord and it has sort of turned into like a a hive mind or a brain's trust of some of the the highest level arrow experts on this planet from testers to device inventors to uh, all sorts uh the conversation in that channel in those channels between those experts most of the time has just been uh it's, oh, it's that's been cool. yeah it, it has been something special to keep track of that yeah i mean for me discord is 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 awesome when you have like a new release of a you know a bike computer for example and, and gp llamas in there you know kind of <laughs> kind of giving the the shortened uh juicier opinion of, of <laughs> what he thinks of the computer <laughs> you know like it's it's just it is very cool it's you know it's it's a, a closed community it's you know it is only for our members so it's not something that's publicly accessible, but um, yeah, the conversation in there I find pretty useful and often entertaining, and most importantly, not rude. There's there's mm. no not a lot of argument going on. That seems pretty uh, collaborative. So anyway, that's probably that's enough good. self promotion. All right. Well, on that note, let's wrap it. Yep. Ronan, I'll see you next week. And thank you. Until then, enjoy the writing. <laughs>